Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome in to the Hoisty Colors podcast. I am your host, Stephen Igo, the publisher of hoistthecolors.net and the host of this podcast. Man, we have a lot to discuss and let's jump right into it. East Carolina and Cincinnati, a couple days away, one day away if you're listening on Thanksgiving Hours away, if you're listening on Friday morning, from a showdown inside Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. 3.30, national telecast, ABC. So much riding on this football game, especially for Cincinnati. Not so much for ECU, which is honestly in a pretty ideal position. Obviously, I guess the real ideal position would be to be in Cincinnati's shoes and playing for a national championship. But in terms of having no pressure on this football game, ECU is in a prime position to pull an upset. And we'll get more into that. Uh, Recording this on Wednesday night, a little less than 48 hours before kickoff on Friday inside Daddy Fickle Stadium. Going to try to keep this podcast relatively brief. I got Thanksgiving tomorrow, a lot to get done, so not going to go super in-depth. There's been a busy week cramming a lot of stuff in, so just giving you guys forewarning on that. Um, We'll obviously um, answer your questions on hoistedcolors.net. As always, we'll take a look at the matchups. And as we get closer to kickoff, it's it's looking more and more like the crowd, the number of people uh, expected to attend the game inside Daddy Ficklin Stadium is nearing that 40,000 mark. I don't know quite if ECU will get there. A lot will depend on how many students show up and also how many take advantage of the spectacular deal that ECU Athletics is offering those students and that they can use their student ticket, which is free, and get four guest passes for free as well. So essentially, a student has five free tickets to utilize, and obviously that can boost the attendance number quite a bit. So a good idea from the ECU marketing and athletics department to try and maximize attendance. We all know how difficult the post-Thanksgiving game is, especially on that Friday, Black Friday. Um, It's tough for, for people to make, but the more people I talk to, a lot of people that really had no plans to attend this game, as a result of ECU's four-game winning streak and the buzz around Cincinnati, a lot of those people have tried to make plans to get back to Greenville. Uh, I have a few students that I know that I, um, obviously a few interns and they know some friends. A lot of people are trying to get back to see this game because, quite frankly, the students haven't had the opportunity while attending ECU to uh, go to a game that's getting this much national attention, this much buzz. So I, I think there is a lot of momentum building into this game. You know, historically... This has been a low 30s, you know, high 20s crowd in terms of thousands of fans. Uh, it's just, for whatever reason, tough for, for ECU fans to make for several reasons, obviously. Um, but, you know, you look at some of these games across the country that are still pretty well attended. The ECU has never drawn well in the post-Thanksgiving game, but it feels like this one could be in that 40, you know, hopefully low 40s mark, but at worst it sounds like high 30s in terms of 30,000 and, um, you know, for, for where the program is and for what time of year it is, that will be a very successful number. Um, for example, Cincinnati, I know they're a l- little bit limited 
on the crowds that they're allowed due to, I think, some renovations at Nippert Stadium. But their highest attendance of the year is 37,978. So um, ECU could easily surpass that in Dowdy Ficklin Stadium on Friday after Thanksgiving. And obviously the opponent has something to do with that, but a lot of people are showing up for East Carolina. Four wins in a row, first bowl-eligible team, first winning team since 2014. Uh, this this team under Mike Houston has accomplished a lot, surpassed a lot of expectations from a lot of people already, and now it's almost to the point where you're truly with house money. You know, I said after the Memphis game, the last two games of the year, you're kind of with house money. Well, after beating Navy, you're truly with house money at this point. Nobody expects you to win this game. Nobody expected you to be in this position. Now here you are, a chance to make history. ECU has never beaten a top five opponent. They've beaten number eight, West Virginia. They've had some top ten wins. They've never beaten a top five opponent. So if, if this football team wants to really cement its legacy, it's obviously already got a legacy of this is the team that kind of turned around this rut of six consecutive losing seasons. You want to take it to another upper echelon, you find a way to win this game, and you'll be remembered forever. So a great opportunity for the program, for Coach Houston, his staff, the players, everybody on Friday. But you know what? You lose the game, then Cincinnati makes history for the American Athletic Conference, and that's not a bad thing either. So uh, truly, I I think a no-lose situation if you're East Carolina. Obviously, the Pirates want to win the football game. That's what the the players are, are playing for. That's what the coaches get paid to do. Um, but I, I just think ECU is in a great spot here. And I think they're also playing with confidence. And, you know, the one thing, and I tweeted about this earlier this week, the one thing I do like about this game, and I know ECU got taken to task pretty good last year. We talked about the fake punt. You know, we talked about 55-17. You know, obviously that game's going to motivate you if you get beat like that on national television, which last year's game was, I believe, on a Thursday night in Ohio. But the 2019 game was a game that East Carolina should have won. And this this game is going to feature a lot of that same personnel on both sides on the same field. Desmond Ritter was the quarterback. Holton Ehlers was the quarterback in that 2019 game. You had the same receivers minus Blake Prohl for the most part. You know, for example, in that game, you had C.J. Johnson going off for 283 yards. You had Snead having some plays. I think Zach Bird even caught a touchdown. Uh, Josiah Hatfield had a good game several of the same offensive linemen and now on Cincinnati's side you've got the same corners the same uh, defensive line same linebackers so these guys are well familiar with each other and ECU really feels like they let one get away in 2019 that they should have won honestly owned the majority of the second half until the late pick six and then Cincinnati of course hit the walk-off field goal by the way Cincinnati has hit three game-winning field goals against ECU in I think the last seven years they they hit one in 14 15 and 19 so uh ECU perhaps due to, to deliver Cincinnati a real kick to the gut because Cincinnati has been able to do that these last several years uh, one thing to note going into this game Cincinnati having some issues at field goal kicker um, I think they're 7 of 15 on the year with two missed extra points so they have struggled with field goal uh, kicking situation. That's really about the only area they've struggled in. We'll talk about several of the areas they are strong in. But, you know, if you're ECU, I just think you're in a great spot here. You're at home. You're going to play with confidence. Everybody knows Cincinnati's a phenomenal team. Look, you don't go 11-0. You don't almost beat Georgia in the bowl game last year unless you're a really good team. They truly are 
a national championship contender. I believe that. They don't have offense and defense. They don't have any weaknesses. We talked about the kicking game could be an issue, but everywhere else, they're as good as anybody in the country. They're as balanced as anybody in the country. So um, it's just really tough to beat them because they're so good in all phases. But you you know if you're these players on ECU's uh, sideline that you've you've done it before against these same guys and now they're coming back to your house why not do it again and if ECU can find a way to keep this game close I think the pressure just mounts and builds so much on Cincinnati as the game goes on to me there's such a difference you know Cincinnati this entire time has been on the outside looking in in the college football playoff hey we continue to get disrespected we continue to not be included in the top four well Tuesday night they were included in the top four. The ball is now in Cincinnati's court. And all of a sudden, you go from being the underdog, the disrespected card, you play and all that. Well, now you got the respect. Now you're in the position, if you're Cincinnati, more than likely, if you win the final two games, you're going to be the first ever group of five team to play in the college football playoff. That is a ton of pressure that shifts as a result of Cincinnati coming in at number four as opposed to number five or number six. And uh, the guys can say what they want at Cincinnati. Luke Fickle can say we're ignoring the noise and all that. But everybody in that program realizes the spot they are in. They realize the history they have a chance to make. And sure, that's motivating for them. But at the same time, that's a ton of pressure. Everybody, you know, very few people are actually even talking about ECU being a threat. More of the talk is about, well, they'll take care of business at ECU. And then they have a ranked Houston team that they need to beat soundly to solidify their spot in the top four. Well, I mean, let's be real. This CCU team, if they're playing like they they have been this last half of the season, they went to Houston, probably should have won, took the Cougars into overtime, should have won at UCF. Uh, this ECU team could very well be 10-1 and one and has the potential to knock off Cincinnati. So I, I think Cincinnati, I think Luke Fickle's a good enough coach to he'll have them ready on Friday. But I just think it comes down to simply if ECU plays his best game of the year and Cincinnati slips up a little bit, the Pirates are more than capable of winning this football game which will be a massive shot heard around the college football world. You're starting to see ECU get some attention nationally for its turnaround. You find a way to win Friday, and obviously there's going to be a lot of storylines about Cincinnati missing this opportunity, but there's also going to be a lot of storylines about ECU being a program on the rise. So great opportunity for East Carolina on national television, ABC Friday. Uh, great chance to showcase the brand, uh, the, the home atmosphere, everything it comes along with that game. This is a, you know, truly in many sense a once in a lifetime opportunity, and that you have a number four team coming in with a chance to play for a national title, and ECU is the team standing in its way. So, uh, when will ECU get this opportunity again? I don't know. And so, be there if you can to witness history in one way or the other. Um, so, let's dive right into the questions on hoistcolors.net and get more into this matchup. As always, the listener questions kind of carry the show especially our preview show as we approach kickoff. All right, our first set of questions comes from Sharkbait17. He says, is Donnie Kirkpatrick going to come out with any wrinkles and or trick plays? Well, if I knew they wouldn't be wrinkles or trick plays, or I guess they would technically still be trick plays, but um, if I knew that wouldn't be a good thing because then Cincinnati would probably listen to this podcast and they would know. Um, but I, I think you'll see some different things. I mean, we saw last year in the SMU finale, that ECU didn't hold anything back. They faked a punt. They ran a reverse pass with Tyler Sneed to Blake Pro, and, and, you know, we saw a ton of Sneed throws or, or plays early in the year that we just haven't seen over the last handful of games. Is there a variation of that play that ECU is saving? Is there another player 
that ECU can get involved with one of those plays. I think there's a very good chance we'll see something unique on Friday. What exactly it is, I don't know. I'm sure Cincinnati's preparing for it. I'm sure Cincinnati's preparing for fake punts because, I mean, karma is a bitch, and I'm sure that they're looking for something that ECU can hit them with in retaliation for last year's, uh, in my opinion, pretty classless move there in the fourth quarter when they were up 42-10. to 10. Uh, Sharkbait also wants to know who has the best pro football-focused graded performance, Kobe Bryant or Jaquan McMillan. Uh, Jaquan McMillan is slightly ahead of Bryant on the pro football-focused grading. I think Jaquan is like 89.2, and Kobe Bryant's like 88 or 89. I mean, he is slightly ahead of Kobe Bryant. You know, the scary thing is, Ahmad Gardner, their other cornerback, is considered the better pro prospect and was kind of the more established cornerback going into the year. And Bryant's actually the Jim Thorpe Award uh, finalist. He's one of three guys who ended up getting that honor. Jaquan was a semifinalist. He was not named a finalist, probably due to ECU's, uh, you know, they're not on the same national stage as Cincinnati's on. Therefore, Kobe Bryant gets that nod despite only having three picks and Jaquan, I think, having five and more pass breakups. But both of them are very good corners. Kobe Bryant's much bigger. Uh, Jaquan, you know, a little bit slighter of stature, but just as much of a gamer probably. You know, just as good as far as coverage and sticking to guys. But Bryant's legit. Ahmad Gardner's legit. They're, they're Nickelback. Uh, Arquan Bush is legit. I mean, they have... And they, their safety is good. They have an elite secondary. There's no there's no bones about it. And they're tall, and they're fast, and they're long. I mean, they're just really good. And as Donnie Kirkpatrick said on Monday, they're not afraid to, to hold you, grab you, do whatever. And they get away with a lot of it because they're so physical. And that's just kind of the style of brand they play. So... Um, going to be some very good matchups on the corner. And then Jaquan's got to do his part, along with Malik Fleming. Uh, Cincinnati's got very good receivers, too, and the Pirates are going to have to be able to hold up on the perimeter uh, defensively to have a shot to win this game. Uh, Sharkbait also says, attendance, ticket sold prediction. You know, I'm going to go in the 40,000s exactly. I'm going to say, you know, 40,200 or something in that range. I think ECU gets enough of a push leading into the game, enough of a student turnout to where they get to 40,000. Will there be a fake punt? Sharkbait17 wants, uh, wants to know. I think there's too much buzz about the fake punt on both sides. Um, so I'm going to say I'm gonna say there will not be a fake punt. I think it would be too obvious for ECU to run a fake punt. You know, it would be very ballsy for Cincinnati to try and run a fake punt in any situation. Obviously, if they get a big lead and run a fake punt again, then that would be, that would be truly rubbing salt in the wound. And it would be ballsy to run a fake punt in a tight game because I'm sure ECU would be preparing for that or just for anything uh, given last year's situation. But I'm going to say no, there will not be a fake punt. Uh, Jonathan Wagner, he wants to know, are you prepared for me to return to the podcast if ECU beat Cincinnati? I'm not even sure I'm ready for that excitement. Dude, I'm not even sure I'll be able to do a podcast if ECU beat Cincinnati because I'm going to talk so much crap about Luke Fickle, fake punt revenge game, all those walk-off field goals they've hit. Um, all the, the crap their fans have come to our board trying to act like they're going to win by 20-30 and I uh, try not to get caught in up in that mess I try to keep it professional but on the podcast I like to have a little fun and I like to have fun on Twitter I'm not afraid I'm not I'm not going to be shy about taking shots at the American Athletic Conference officials if they try to uh, uh, swallow the whistle or make any egregious calls in this one I'll be the first to call them out for obvious reasons um and I'm also, 
you know, I would love to have a, a post-game podcast after ECB Cincinnati. You know, we might just invite the entire message board on that podcast and a collective Zoom call and see, just just have a giant party on the podcast and just let it be ultimate chaos uh, because that's truly what it would be if ECU finds a way to win this game. So, Jonathan, I've been prepared for you to return to the podcast for weeks now, and I'm ready for you to get on the podcast, win or lose, you said you would proclaim that ECU is back if they uh, made a bowl game, I believe, and, and the Pirates are going bowling. So where are you at, Jonathan? I invited you on a couple uh, couple days ago, and I, I got told no. So I guess you, you're saying ECU is not back? What's what's up with that, man? Uh, now, nah, you know, uh, point your leg, man. Uh, ECU Pirates 21, he wants to know, what's the overall vibe you've gotten from the players in the locker room? How confident are we feeling going into this game? I mean, I think winning breeds uh, confident. Winning is contagious. It's infectious. And I think ECU right now is as confident as they've been since the Shane Carden era, just as a collective football team. You know, I don't think they're cocky. I think they realize the test at hand. But I think you combine the winning streak, the confidence from that, the belief from that, combined with the way they played against Cincinnati in 2019 against much of the same personnel. And I think there's a real belief ECU can win this game if they go out there and execute. They know it's going to be a tremendous challenge. They respect the opponent. They know everything Cincinnati's playing for, why they're undefeated, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, if you don't have confidence, you can go out there and and, and win the football game. You're not going to win it. And I can tell you right now, this ECU team is confident and they believe they can win this game. I can tell you the coaching staff has put in a lot of time preparing for this game, even dating back to the offseason. So I expect ECU to be ready to go on Friday. Whether that's good enough to beat a top-five team is a whole other deal. The reality is Cincinnati has more talent pound for pound across the board. Uh, But any given day in football, any team can win, and ECU is good enough to win this game. Cincinnati makes a few mistakes, and ECU plays its best game of the year. The Pirates can walk away victorious on Friday. Uh, he also wants to know if the rumblings of a Mike Houston extension are true by your best guess, what do you think we bump both his pay and the assistant coaches up to? You know, I just think, you know, I pulled some of the numbers and the, the salary for the assistants, salary pool, what Mike Houston's getting paid, it's just not good enough. Um, and I get it. Like I get that the numbers were fair when uh, coach Houston and his staff were hired because they were coming from the FCS ranks and, it was a substantial pay grade over what they made at James Madison. But now that they're winning at ECU, the Pirates have to make more of a financial commitment to Coach Houston and his coaching staff. You know, for example, I had the assistant salary pool for the 10 on-field assistants at $1.815 million. Um, Houston is committing $4.5 million. Now, that does include strength coach and some support staff uh, people, but uh, 4.5 million. South Florida is paying 3.5 million for their assistant pool under Jeff Scott, compared to 1.8 for ECU. So that's double. Uh, if you're going to expect to win for, uh, expect to compete cha- for championships or win championships in your league, you've got to have comparable pay. So I think ECU easily has to get over 2 million with the assistant salary pool, closer to 2.5 million at least, because Memphis, South Florida, all the public schools in the American are at 3 million. Uh, ECU's got to at least get to $2.5 million there. And then, um, you know, as far as Coach Houston's pay, he's got to get over $2 million for sure. I mean, he's going to be a very hot commodity if he continues to win like this. Um, you know, ideally, 
in the 2.5 million range. I don't know what's realistic. I don't know if ECU can go that high. For now, I think the more winning you have, the more fans you have, the more fans you have, the more revenue you have. But you got to find a way to get Coach Houston at least in that two to three million range. And um, maybe you start low two millions, and then you uh, you escalate it into his contract to where he's closer to you know two point five three million towards the end of his extension. They just have to do something because right now the the pay is not comparable to the rest of the league. And quite frankly, if you're going to expect to compete for championships, it's got to be much better. Um, Buck Wild 17 he asks, is Luke Fickle a punk? Uh, I'm going to be honest here. I don't think everybody I talk to in the industry really likes Luke Fickle. I don't I don't think he's a punk. Um, I think, I don't know the deal with the fake punt. And if he truly called that, if Luke Fickle called that, then, you know, that's pretty pretty lame. And he, he ventured much closer to punk territory. But everything I heard going into the Cincinnati game last year was that Coach Houston and the coaching staff at ECU really respected everything about Cincinnati. They liked Luke Fickle. So I think this may have just been an isolated incident. Um, and I don't think he's a punk. You know, I've watched a lot of his press conferences back when they were struggling, back when they were do- just starting to do good. And I just never got the impression that he's like a, a cocky punk. So I, I think he's uh I think he's just a good football coach, and um, he's got it rolling there. So kudos to him. I don't really have a problem with Luke Fickle. Now, if they go out and do something Bush League again this weekend, maybe my tune will change. But, uh, yeah, I think he's just a good coach. And I think, unfortunately for him, the fake punt last year really has given him a bad rap with these few fans. But so be it. I mean, at the end of the day, you are the head coach, and and everything falls under your lap. But um, I I think it's – I don't. I don't think it's truly a, a, a direct reflection of Luke Fickle being a punk or anything like that. But hey, it's going to motivate ECU, and um, so I hope ECU uses it to its uh, its motivation this weekend and finds a way to get a W. Uh, Berg Pirate, our good friend, he, you know he's got more than one question. He also he always has these questions. He says, uh, number one, how much will we blitz Desmond Ritter? You know, based on Blake Harrell's press conference, I think ECU will mix it up a lot. I think they'll come after him. I mean, that's what ECU's done basically every game this year except for Memphis and Navy because those are two different situations. Uh, Navy's obviously the triple option, and Memphis is Memphis, and they really struggle against coverage um, as opposed to blitzing. You know, Cincinnati's really good against both. I mean, looking at the numbers from Pro Football Focus, they're, they're good against both. You have to mix it up to confuse Ritter. Obviously, his grade is much lower under pressure than no pressure, but he's still very good under pressure. The toughest thing with Ritter is if you blitz, and we saw this several times the past two years, if you blitz Ritter and you don't keep your lane and your contain, he can break it so easily and he can beat you with his legs. And the thing about Ritter is a lot of his rushing yards comes on those scrambles where uh, more so than design runs, he just make you know, he makes it look effortless. He's one of those guys who it looks like he's gliding when everybody else is running. He's just kind of gliding by guys. So uh, if ECU does blitz, and I expect they do quite a bit, they'll have to keep their lanes and they got to keep their pass rush integrity. Otherwise, it'll be a tough, tough game. So when ECU does blitz, they have to execute. Number two, how many additional season tickets do we sell next year with a win against Cincinnati? Um, I think at least a thousand or two i mean maybe that's putting too much emphasis on one game but you want to create regional national headlines you win this game and i just think it creates so much buzz 
you know, it's almost like if you win the Cincinnati game, like that's your bowl game. Um, you know, at that point, what, what, you know, the bowl game obviously would be nice to win, but you beat Cincinnati and like that's almost winning the championship in itself, just in terms of the magnitude of the game. ECU has not had a game of this magnitude in years, so uh, and this is going to get more magnitude and more buzz in the bowl game, so um, it would do a lot. That's for sure. I don't, I don't know if you can directly quantify a number, but it would do a lot. Does a win against Cincinnati expedite the contract extension and raises for the entire coaching staff? Berg Pirate wants to know. Um, I think it's I think that's happening either way. Expedite maybe, but I I think it's happening either way. So I I don't you know I don't I don't know. But I, you know the one thing that does concern me if you win Cincinnati, if you beat Cincinnati, you know maybe Mike Houston goes from being a coach that is going to get more attention after another winning season at ECU to hey. This guy's already beaten the top five team in his third year at ECU. Maybe he gets attention right away, and therefore that expedites the process of trying to give him a raise and his staff a raise. So we'll see. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Uh, ECU Buck 88, he says, looks like Friday will be very windy. Is that an advantage for either team? What percentage chance do you give the Pirates painting black Friday purple? Um, windy, I don't think it's truly an advantage for either team. I think both teams are balanced. I do think Ritter probably throws like a you know better velocity ball than Ehlers, so maybe that plays a slight advantage to Cincinnati as far as throwing through the wind, but not a ton. I, I, don't, I don't put too much stock into that. I think more so than anything, both teams are balanced. They can run the ball, they can pass the ball, and um, they play good defense. So I, I, you know, for me, I don't really see. I don't really say either way. Uh, percentage chance, you know, I think last I saw football power index gives ECU like a 17% chance of winning this game. I would say that's about right. You know, 17, I would say 20%. I think there's a one in five chance ECU wins this game, which is honestly pretty damn good when you're playing against a top five team. Um, I, there's definitely a chance. Uh, and I like ECU's chances. I just don't know if they'll win the game. I think they'll be in it and I think they'll compete. And if they can make the, the big plays, you know they got to continue to make the plays they've made the last few weeks in crunch time. Like if they continue to make those awesome plays, the Jaquan McMillan forced fumble, the Malik Fleming pick six against South Florida, the two point conversion stop, the Holton Aylers throw to Sneed, the catch by Sneed, the fourth down play to Sneed, the two point conversion to C.J. Johnson. Like you got to make those plays every single time you get the chance to against a team like Cincinnati in order to win. And it can happen. ECU's just going to have to play a tremendous game. Uh, Pirate 100 says, if we wore the purple chrome helmets Friday, would they chip? Absolutely, they would chip. Um, they've chipped all year. Why would they not chip now? The good news is they're wearing the matte black helmet, so we don't have to worry about it on national TV. And I don't have to answer any more questions about that unless they wear them in the bowl game. All right, next set of questions here. So we continue to go rapid fire. Yakin, he says, what can ECU do to get the passing game going against Cincinnati Secondary? Well, here's the deal. So in, in 2019, ECU made several one-on-one plays against man coverage. And last year, they did not. Cincinnati crushed ECU in pass rush, man coverage, everything. And it's going to come down to winning those one-on-one battles. Cincinnati's going to do a lot of different things with man coverage, but at the end of the day, they're going to play a lot of man. And they're going to blitz, they're going to mix up things, but... It's going to come down to ECU's best players are going to have to beat Cincinnati's best players and find a way to move the chains that way in terms of the passing game. Obviously, 
to get the passing game going, you got to run the ball first. And Cincinnati has given up some yards on the ground this year. They're only averaging 3.7 yards per carry given up. Uh, but I think teams are running the ball at a pretty high rate against them per game. And, and ironically, they've done a good job against some of the better rushing teams in their schedule, but it's been some of the more random teams like Tulane and Tulsa really ran the ball well on them and a couple others as well. So they are gettable in the ground game. And, you know, Keaton Mitchell, I think, had 100 yards or close to it against them last year. So And ECU ran for over 200 as a team last year against the Bearcats. So um, if I'm ECU, you know you have to go into this game running the ball, and therefore it opens up the pass. The better you run it, the more they have to commit those safeties, those DBs, those linebackers to the ground game. And then you truly get your one-on-one matchups without even having to worry about a safety or a robber, that type of stuff which they do, and that can lead to some interceptions. So I think you got to run the ball, number one, and then when you do pass the ball, you just got to ask your guys to make plays. And it's easier said than done. I mean, these two corners are legit. They're nickelbacks legit. they got some linebackers who can cover. But, you know, I think you got to get some matchups you like. I mean, you're going to take your shots with C.J. and Audie. But I think this is a game Tyler Sneed's got to win in the slot got to get your tight ends to win some one-on-one battles you know get ryan jones matched up with somebody he can beat and then i think the running backs out of the backfield this is a good opportunity for them as well you know if cincinnati's going man coverage a lot to be sure nobody's going to want to guard Keith mitchell in the flats and if they do you swing it out to Keith mitchell he makes one man miss that's when you can go uh, on a house call if you get the right play in the right setting so um you're gonna have to hit some big plays your completion percentage might not be very high, but that's fine. Try to hit some big plays. Live with the incompletions. Hopefully avoid the turnovers. I mean, the two corners, I think, are both allowing like 40% completion percentage on balls thrown at them. So you know more than likely if you go to them, it's probably less than 50-50 shot that you're going to complete it. But if you do complete it, it can be a big play. So um, Holton's going to have to put the ball on the money, and the guys are going to have to make some great plays at the end of the day. Uh, Yakin also says, also hope you don't mind a basketball question. Do you think we will see Winston Tavis before January? I never mind basketball, man. Um, I like what I see from this team early on. I know they suffered a couple of difficult-to-swallow losses in Myrtle Beach. But I think that there's some real potential here. They're scoring the basketball at a high level. They're shooting the ball, and they've yet to really get going, I think. Uh, again, you mentioned Winston Tavis. I think he can be a... a all-conference caliber score if he's truly 100% healthy. As far as do, will we see him before January, I do think we'll see him in some capacity before January. I don't I don't know if it'll be at a full capacity, but I do expect him to get some minutes here at some point in December. It sounds like he's basically week-to-week week at this point. You know, they he was really practicing hard, working out hard, and then I think his knee kind of swelled back up, and so they really have backed off, tried to give him as much time as possible. But I think they want to get him going by the start of conference play. And so I think you'll see him more towards the end of non-conference, maybe even sooner if, if things really work out from a, uh, a health perspective. All right, next set of questions from ECU grad 04. Uh, how far in the rankings do you expect Cincinnati to fall when ECU beats them Friday? Do you expect they will stay the top group of five team for New Year's Six Bowl? Uh, if they lose, yeah, I think they will stay the top New Year's Six team. I mean, I think UTSA is the only other one in Houston and UTSA would be, what, in the 20s, maybe the high teens. I don't think Cincinnati will fall past, you know, 13 to 15. I think they'll fall in that range. Um, 
So, I mean, I, I think Cincinnati would still be the, the group of five representative. What format do you expect the final playoff format will be? I assume ECU Rad, you're asking about like the what when it when it gets changed, what will the format be? Um, you know, I think the 12 team deal with the uh, that, that was being speculated early this year will happen. The only difference is I think there will be automatic bids, unfortunately, for the Power Five conferences and. You know, that was originally not in the plan, but I think there's so much money and greed from those conferences and such a backdoor deal going on with college football playoff that they'll have an auto bid, even for the crappy Pac-12, which always sucks. Um, They'll find a way to get an auto bid. And then somehow Notre Dame will get some stipulation to where, hey, if we win 10 games or whatever, we get an automatic playoff bid. Because there's so much BS that goes into that deal for TV and ESPN. They'll find a way to, to make it so all those schools get a seat at the table. And then the group of five, whatever the hell they want to call teams like ECU, will have to scrap and claw still to get in. But at least there will be a shot to get in without having to go undefeated and win by 70 points each game just to be included in the conversation, um, which is just unrealistic. But, uh, yeah, I think eventually it will go to 12, and I think it will stop there. What are you hearing on Mason Garcia for next season? Is he ready if Holton Aylers leaves? You know, we've kind of talked about this on and off throughout the year. For me – I don't think Mason is ready right now. I think Mason Garcia would be ready if, hey, if Holton Aylers decides to leave, you know that Mason's going to be your guy. Maybe you bring in a transfer to compete with him. But then you give Mason all offseason to get number one reps throughout spring ball, throughout the summer, throughout preseason camp. All those reps would develop him so much, in my opinion. It's hard for him to get those reps when Holton Aylers is here and he's the number one guy and he's got to get that work with the first team. So for me, Mason will take the biggest leap and he'll be ready after that type of offseason. The problem is he can't do that if Holton is here. So that's kind of the dilemma you face. Yeah, you want Holton Aylers back for obvious reasons. He's experienced. He's a proven commodity. Mason at this point is a completely unproven commodity. And if you're the coaching staff and you look at what's coming back next year, you're going to take the proven commodity because the next year's team can be very special. But at the same time, you're leaving a ton of untapped potential on the bench for another year. And you got to make sure Mason Garcia is okay with that. If he's not, you know, who knows what happens there. It would be his third year, theoretically, of sitting out. So, um, tough decisions there. I think he would be ready if Holton leaves as a result of the increased reps and the increased attention and time he would get in the offense. Um, how do we contain the Cincinnati quarterback Desmond Ritter? is ECU grad's final question. Well, it's tough to contain him. He is extremely athletic, and he's almost deceptively fast. You know, the the thing I talked about earlier, like he just – I remember vividly last year's game, they would put a spy on Ritter in that Thursday night game, and the guy would try to cut and tackle him, and Ritter would just glide right by him. So you you have to spy him, but you also got to keep your pass rush lanes, and you got to have a good enough athlete – that spying him to track him down, and then you got to tackle him. Uh, I remember several missed tackles in the 2019 game where he would just kind of shake guys off and make big plays with his legs. So it's tough, man, because you know it's tough to contain him because he's such a good passer. You got to commit so many guys to the passing game, and at the same time, you also want to affect him pressure-wise to get him off a spot. So you just have to really pick your spots in terms of when you attack him how you QB spy him, and then how you contain him. 
Um, and bottom line is you have to execute at a very high level. And the reality is, too, you're going to give up some plays. You're not going to shut this offense out. They're averaging 40 points per game. They're very efficient for the most part. They run the ball well. They take their deep shots. They got receivers, tight ends, O-line, running back, everything. They're just good. And so you're going to give up some plays. It's just can you get enough stops to, to get the ball back to your offense to where they can, um, you know, more compete with, uh, with, with, with keeping pace with their offense. So it's going to be a challenge, but uh, the good news is ECU's seen them twice. Maybe they have some tendencies now that they didn't have a year ago. And uh, hopefully, obviously the defense he's going against is much better than a year ago. And uh, they're playing a very high-level ball. They're mixing up more coverages, mixing up more blitzes. So I think it'll be more of a challenge for Cincinnati. And hopefully the crowd's in it too. Hopefully the crowd is affecting uh, their cadence, uh, their communication, and that gives an edge to ECU's defense as well. Um, so big game on Friday and um, before I give my prediction just wanted to run over the seniors the guys who will be honored on Friday I got the official list from ECU Athletics this is subject to change perhaps Um, nothing's ever final and we're still a couple days away Um, but here's the list of guys who will be recognized on Friday Sean Bailey uh, for, for senior day Sean Bailey Bruce Bivens Justin Chase, Lorenzo Doerr, DJ Ford, Fernando Fry, Audio Matosho, Aaron Ramsour, Warren Saba, John Young, Peyton Winstead, Nick Bernhard, Dre Terry, Zach Bird. Um, Winstead had the medical DQ. He's still with the program. He'll be recognized. Uh, Nick Bernhard's a walk-on offensive lineman who's been with the program a while. Dre Terry's a former uh, walk-on linebacker who was a scholarship guy. Placed on scholarship a couple years ago. He's a junior, I think, eligibility-wise. It looks like he will be moving on. And then Zach Bird has been with the program a couple years. He's also a junior, but looks like he has chosen most likely to move on uh, from the tight end room. You know, as far as these these seniors, Sean Bailey, Bruce Bivens, Aaron Ramsour, and Fernando Fry are really the guys who stand out to me as far as they've been here five, six years. They deserve so much credit, man. I mean, I've, you know, as much as the fan base has suffered, as much as the alumni have suffered, these guys have, I mean, they've gone through so much crap. Um, losses, criticism, coaching changes, position changes, you know, assistant coaching changes. Like, there was a span where the O-line and linebackers had, like, a different coach every year for, like, three or four years, and um, they stuck it out, man. I cannot give these guys enough credit. You know, and, you know, I've had the pleasure of getting to know all of them through um, through interviews. And obviously, Fernando was a walk-on, so I got to know him after he got to ECU. But I remember specifically talking to Sean, Bruce, and Aaron as recruits. And to see them commit to ECU, sign with ECU, go through all this crap, and still be here five and six years later. It's honestly special, man. It's It makes you... Uh, you know, it kind of gives me chills just talking about it, covering them for so long and kind of seeing their success pay off or their hard work pay off with this success. I know it's got to feel good for them. You know, talking to Bruce earlier this week, seeing the smile on his face was was pretty special. Um, you know, he's a guy that's intense, doesn't give away a lot of emotion, but you could tell that he was damn proud of, of how far this program has come and and there were dark days, man. I'm sure there were days all these guys, I don't know if they contemplated transferring or leaving, but I'm sure there were dark days where it was like, is this all worth it? You know, is it, is it worth the pain and the struggle? And 
it turns out it is. So props to all those guys, man. Happy for them. They'll be honored on senior day. Um, Warren Saba, John Young, two other guys who have been with the program four years now. Uh, John's been an outstanding punter. Saba's just been a grinder. He's played corner, nickel, safety, special teams. He's done everything. Um, so, you know, really have gotten to know those guys as well. Happy for them. You got a couple of transfers that have made an impact. Justin Chase is a two-year starter after coming in from NC State. Didn't really play at State. Was originally committed to ECU. Flipped after Ruff McNeil was fired. I think he kind of found his home here at ECU. Uh, DJ Ford only is one year at ECU, but it was a uh, a pretty pretty special year. It turns out, and he's he's had to fight through some injuries, but I think he's a guy that's going to leave Greenville with uh, with very positive thoughts, and hopefully he gets a shot at the next level with his size and his speed, and, and several other guys on this list that obviously have contributed as well that deserve their moment. And then you got the guys like Holt Naylor, so we don't know quite what he's going to do. Um, originally, it looked like he was going to walk. And that wasn't going to be his final decision, but I think he just wanted to walk in case he didn't come back. But I think he wants to give the guys who truly are done, um, you know, their chance to to, to 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 walk and get there a moment. You know, I've heard for Audio Matosho that he's actually got another year of eligibility, maybe. And so we'll see if he finds a way to come back. But he is walking just in case. He's a guy that's been in the program now three years as a transfer from UCLA and he he's he's another guy that maybe some wrote him off after the last two years but this year has made several big plays for this offense so um these are the guys who played a crucial role in turning around this program um they'll always be remembered for that no matter what happens Friday and in the bowl game they'll go out as winners uh they had a winning season for the first time uh in their careers at ECU for the first time at the ECU program, has had a winning season since 2014, a span of seven years. So, uh, kudos to these guys, man. I can't say it enough. Um, I'm thankful that I got the opportunity to cover them, get to know some of them, and and, and I'm very uh, happy to see them go out the way they're going out. Um, with that said, let's do our prediction for Friday's game. I want to pick the Pirates so bad. I, I have a feeling. Not to go all black-eyed peas um, and start singing, but I, I do have a feeling. I just don't, I just don't know. I can do it, man. Like, can you really pick a fourteen-point underdog to win straight up? I mean, you can. I'm just gonna say right now, I wouldn't be shocked if it happens. I just truly worry about the American Athletic Conference. I'm not gonna say they're throwing the football game, but I'm really concerned that. Cincinnati is not going to get called for anything unless it's just absolutely egregious on on Friday. Um, this is such a big opportunity for the American. Like I, I just feel like ECU is not going to get favorable calls. Uh, it's going to be a, it's it's going to be tough sledding. I'm not I'm not going to straight up say the conference is fixing the game, but I'm just you know the, the reality of the situation is is the reality of the situation. So I feel like there's some things working for ECU in terms of getting an upset, playing at home, Thanksgiving week, no pressure, etc. But there's also some things they're going to have to overcome. Um, and then also Cincinnati at the end of the day, man, they got like 30 seniors or something crazy. I mean, this is what they've been playing for their whole lives uh, since they got to Cincinnati. So they're going to be extremely motivated. We can only hope that the pressure builds on them 
and maybe they just can't handle it on this stage. Uh, but they've played a lot of big games during their time there, so I don't think it'll affect them so much. I think ECU is just going to have to play a near-perfect game to win, and I just don't know if you can bank on that at the end of the day. So I'm going to say this is a fourth quarter, a four-quarter game. comes down to the fourth quarter, and Cincinnati finds a way to win 35-31, and the Pirates go down fighting with plenty to uh, – to hang their head high about um, or hold their head high up about. I just think it's going to be a tough game um, for four quarters. So really looking forward to it. hope the crowd shows up and it should be a fun game to cover. And I'm just glad we're in this spot. Late November, Thanksgiving week, and this game matters. This game is huge. It's one of the biggest games on the college football slate. And after the past handful of years, just be glad we're in this spot. We're covering this game. We're watching this game. ECU's in this position. You know, go to Dowdy Fucking Stadium, win or lose, cheer your tail off, enjoy the day. The Pirates are back. This is big time football. And, uh, you know, you get to watch a top five team come to Dowdy Fucking Stadium. I mean, what more can you ask for? Thanksgiving, football. I mean, this is great. This is what it's all about. So uh, enjoy this week. Enjoy this game. I hope everybody has a good Thanksgiving. We'll be back with you after the game to recap it all, as always. Uh, Thank you guys for the questions and for tuning in and for listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. We'll catch up with you after the game. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.